This is episode number 59 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program, which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. Unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. As always, please remember to... Subscribe, rate, review, and share this program via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual Number One Pod. And as is uh, always the case, and will be increasingly the case, there is a ton to get to in this particular episode of the podcast. Correct. Because obviously the impeachment fervor has uh, picked up. Uh, you know, when the Trump presidency began. I predicted that uh, the Democrats would win the House of Representatives in 2018 and that they would impeach Donald Trump in 2019 and that he would survive impeachment because the Trump cult and the Trump uh, right-wing state-run media would stick by him and that uh, his re-election would be dictated based upon which candidate the Democrats chose. If they chose someone reasonable, they would win. If they chose a nut job, they might lose. Uh, all that is coming to fruition. The biggest uh, discrepancy in my prediction was I thought he would be impeached earlier in 2019. But it appears as if, based upon where we are today, that he will be impeached just under... <laughs> just barely under the time limit of the end of 2019. Who knows exactly how this will go from here. But it does appear as if Democrats are dead set on making sure that an impeachment vote takes place before the end of the year uh, for a number of reasons. It appears as if they are fast-tracking this uh, current impeachment investigation involving Trump's actions with regard to the Ukraine and I, I felt pretty good about our analysis in episode number 58 of the now infamous phone call between Donald Trump and President Zelensky of the Ukraine. However, uh, and I still feel pretty good about it, but there was one thing that I missed and which almost all of the news media missed and which almost all of the news media is still remarkably missing to this day. And that is the first thing that Donald Trump says in response to Zelensky when Zelensky says, uh, thanks so much for all the, uh, the military aid. We're getting ready to be able to buy uh, some more weapons from you guys. You're awesome. Uh, and Trump says, uh, but I need you to do us a favor, though. And that's, you know, if there was a quid pro quo, that's about as close as you're going to get based upon the current version of the transcript as it exists, although I'm increasingly convinced that this is not the entire uh, transcript. I'll talk about that at some point uh, during this particular episode of the podcast. But based upon what we currently know, that's the key phrase. Uh, I want you to do us a favor, though. What he says right after that is not about Joe or Hunter Biden and trying to conjure up or create some sort of an investigation that he can use as fodder to take out Biden in the 2020 election. 
That comes slightly later. The first thing that Trump talks about, at first, I and apparently most people in the news media were so confused by and, frankly, ignorant of, and his verbiage was so incomprehensible that we kind of just ignored it. We couldn't make sense of it, so we just pretended it was irrelevant. But upon further review, I'm referring to what he talks about with CrowdStrike and uh, what has now been interpreted as Hillary's emails and the the so-called deleted emails from her server that we've heard forever and ever and ever about during the 2016 election and beyond. I mean, Sean Hannity still does shows on this on a fairly regular basis now into 2019. I mean, they they just will never let it go because it's really all they have. And so what I now understand that paragraph to be is really uh, mind-blowing. And the first time that I was alerted to this, ironically enough, came while watching the Rachel Maddow show on MSNBC. And it's just, it's it's incredible to me that I'm now considering Rachel Maddow to be uh, someone worthy of watching. I I do not like her. I think she's a good performer. Uh, But, you know, the idea that MSNBC and Rachel Maddow might be the place where you get some semblance of the truth really is an incredible indication of where we are in this bizarro, upside-down Alice in Wonderland world. But uh, she said something about how that particular portion of the phone call should be interpreted that really got me thinking. And I started to do some research on it. And I even think that Rachel Maddow is partially missing the boat on this. And while I don't know for sure, what it, the most logical explanation for what Trump is doing in that portion of the phone call which is still not being focused on hardly at all because it's not as easily understood. It's not as clear cut. It's not as sexy uh, as the whole Joe Biden thing. What I think Donald Trump is doing there is he is trying to at best, at best get Ukraine to give up information that would help Roger Stone in his coming trial against the United States. Roger Stone is going to go on trial in a couple of months for federal charges. And part of Roger Stone's defense is that the entire premise that Russia hacked into the DNC emails and that therefore that was how WikiLeaks got the DNC emails, and that any communication that somehow Roger Stone had with WikiLeaks, which alerted him to WikiLeaks releasing these emails, which dominated the narrative of the last month of the campaign, that all of that is illegitimate because it never happened, according to this wacky conspiracy theory that Trump is at least pretending to believe in, or maybe actually does believe in, and that Supposedly, Ukraine can prove this because they actually have, and I don't even understand, I I honestly do not understand how this even makes any sense, but they supposedly have Hillary's deleted emails. And what Trump is telling Zelensky there is that it would be very helpful if he could, and and he even invokes 
our own attorney general, Bill Barr, which is just freaking nuts because it's, it's nuts on so many levels because what's essentially happening here, again, we need more information to prove it, but it's the most logical explanation to me. It's the only explanation I've heard where Trump has a large enough incentive to make this the first ask. See, I'm not buying this notion that somehow he's just doing this because he's curious about this conspiracy theory involving the DNC hack and Hillary's emails. Because you got to remember, it's the timeline is so important here. This is the day after Robert Mueller craps his pants and blows his congressional testimony on the Russian investigation. Trump even references that in this portion of the phone call, that it's July 25th. He now feels safe with regard to Mueller. Mueller is essentially psychologically in his rear view mirror. Okay. So that's important to understand. Uh, you, you need to understand that, um, you know, what Mueller did was give Trump an off a lot of confidence. I'm not going to get into that. I mean, that's what happened with Mueller. That's how bad Mueller's testimony is. And so the reality is I don't buy that theory, which seems to be the prevailing theory. This was just Trump trying to substantiate one of his crackpot conspiracy theories. No, 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 no. For this to be the first primary ask after the line, can you do us a favor, though? It has to be more important than that. It has to be more in Trump's self-interest. And from my research on this, it's pretty darn clear that what Trump is trying to do here is help Roger Stone's defense because he's afraid. Now that Russia, the Mueller portion of Russia is in his rear view mirror, he's looking ahead and he sees the next problem as Roger Stone's trial. Because Roger Stone's trial, if it doesn't go well, could theoretically reopen this whole situation start a new series of questions and implicate him in numerous ways because Roger Stone and Donald Trump have been tied to the hip for many years. He was effectively Donald Trump's original campaign manager back at the beginning of the 2016 presidential election cycle. And so it's absurd that Roger Stone would not have been communicating directly with Donald Trump on everything he was doing with regard to WikiLeaks. And I said this immediately after we learned of the Ukrainian phone call situation. The Ukrainian phone call should automatically get us to revisit everything about the Russian investigation through a completely different prism. Now that we know he was willing to do this again, we have to presume things that we thought were true with regard to the Russian investigation actually were true. It would be ludicrous not to do that. It would be illogical not to do that. I've used the analogy of you suspect your partner of having an affair and you let them off the hook and then immediately they start getting caught in a, in a second affair. Well, you, you've got to presume then that you were wrong to let them off the hook the first time. And so the, the Roger Stone trial provides an incentive here that's strong enough for Trump to use his leverage over the Ukraine president to try to get them to help. Now, 
if that's true, and I believe it to be true, I'm certainly open to being persuaded that it's not true, and it absolutely needs more meat on the bone to prove it, but it could be proven with asking the right people the right questions, including Trump himself. But the media is not doing that because they're so distracted by the Biden portion of this that they're not even fully understanding at all what this whole crowd strike uh, situation was about. But if it's true, if it is true that Donald Trump was not just seeking foreign help in interfering in an election, but seeking foreign help to create inter- effectively interference in a criminal case where he's harming the case brought by our own federal government. Again, not with the truth. There's no evidence that this is the truth. Just today on, on some of the Sunday shows, this conspiracy theory was blown apart by very credible people. So this is a crockpot theory. This is not about Trump trying to get to the real truth of the matter. No, this is about Trump trying to concoct something that his old pal Roger Stone can use in a criminal trial against the interests of the United States of America where he's invoking our own attorney general, the, the, the chief law enforcement official of the United States of America. Now, again, I want to underline, if true, and I believe it is, needs more evidence, but that's the, the scenario that makes the most sense based upon what we currently know. If that's what Trump was really doing, I got to tell you, that's at least as bad as the Biden stuff. The Biden stuff, which I'll get to momentarily, you could at least theoretically argue, as the Trump people are lamely doing, that they're trying to, you know, expose the real truth of uh, Biden and Ukrainian corruption. I don't believe that, but you could at least make a semblance of that argument. What you cannot argue, as far as I can tell, is any legitimacy to the president of the United States trying to undermine a criminal case brought by his own federal government against a friend of his. And yet the media is completely ignoring this. Uh, maybe it's too complex. Maybe you know they're so focused on Biden. Uh, but uh, I am baffled. I am completely baffled by why this portion of the phone call is not getting more attention, especially when it is directly, directly after his ask for a favor. And, you know, there are those who have tried to use it on Trump's side as, well, the favor ask was was far enough away from the Biden stuff that that's not really what Trump was doing. That's bullcrap. That's total bullcrap. Uh, it, it is a clear stream of consciousness. It is a sh- clear, direct line. Uh, they, they follow one another. It's obvious that this is all still part of the asking for a favor. And Trump knows he has plenty of leverage over the Ukrainian president, and that's why the Ukrainian president is acting like he's uh, a member of the cast of Fox and Friends as he's kissing Trump's ass the entire phone call. I mean, it was ridiculous. Correct. It was absurd. Uh, and I and I wrote a column, which I hope you'll check out, uh, on this topic. I actually combined the two topics of, hey, wait a minute, what about this this crowd strike portion of the phone call and Roger Stone's trial, and what about the fact that that uh, Zelensky is so willing to suck up to Trump that uh, that that 
it, it changes the equation with regard to a so-called quid pro quo. The analogy I use is that, in this case, Trump is like Bill Clinton and Zelensky is like Monica Lewinsky. And not just because their names kind of rhyme. I mean, I guarantee you there was no quid pro quo between uh, Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky before she started uh, giving him blowjobs in the oral, o- overall, in the Oval Office. Freudian slip there. Uh, there. There was no quid pro quo. They, they did not sit down, and Clinton did not say, okay, uh, Monica, you know, I would really like for you to give me a blowjob. And in exchange for the blowjob, I'm going to give you a monicum of presidential attention and uh, a few measly gifts. Uh, is that okay with you? And she didn't say, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, pull down your pants. Uh, that's not what happened. And, all, by the way, they also did not have a quid pro quo on, oh, by the way, we're going to lie about this even under oath. Uh, and here's how exactly you're going to lie, although there, there could be evidence there was effectively a, a prid quo quo in that situation. But the reality is all that happened was that Monica Lewinsky showed Bill Clinton her thong. And then a series of events took place after that because everybody knew, you know, a wink, a nod, and a flash of a thong. This is how the world actually works. You don't actually get a full agreement with somebody. Well, to me, that's relevant in interpreting Trump's actions here because obviously you're never going to have a full-on quid pro quo in a phone call. Even with Donald Trump, he's just not that dumb. Correct. Or is he? Because because there's parts of this that indicate that he really might be that dumb, although I am discounting that because there's another revelation that's been made in the last couple of days that there's a reason that Trump would have felt comfortable Uh, going in this direction of a quid pro quo because it is now very obvious that certain phone calls that were of a highly sensitive political nature, like, for instance, those with Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump, had been placed in a more secure server in a place where they could not be accessed by the same number of people as a normal phone call. And we need to know more about the details of this, but if that's anything close to what has been widely reported, then Trump probably felt this is another area where Trump is feeling overconfident. He's overconfident because of what happened the day before with Robert Mueller, and he's overconfident because he's now been trained into into thinking that he can get away with almost anything on these phone calls uh, because they're going to be hidden. The, his people are going to hide the most uh, damning, most sensitive phone calls. There's even a report in the Wall Street Journal that John Kelly, former chief of staff, was actually muting portions of these phone calls when he heard them going into areas that Trump shouldn't be going into, like he's dealing with a child. That's what this is. This is babysitting. John Kelly is having to babysit the president of the United States while he's on phone calls with foreign leaders. But Trump is overconfident because he's now thinking that he can say anything on these phone calls and they're not going to get out because they haven't been getting out. If you remember, very early on in this presidency, there was a phone call, I believe it was with the Mexican president, which did get out. And it's after that that there was a clampdown on this process. And Trump clearly felt, okay, I can let my hair down. And uh, I'm not going to have to worry about it because we've taken care of this. We've only gotten people who are very loyal to me who have access to this type of information. 
Well, in this particular case, it was apparently so egregious that one of those or multiple people of those close to him who were supposedly loyal to him blabbed to whoever the whistleblower is. And I think, and this is just my personal theory, but it's based in logic, I think that part of why that is is because the actual phone call was worse than the transcript that we currently have. And this is this is basic logic here. The phone call was a half an hour. The transcript is only five pages. The transcript has several ellipses at key moments. An ellipse is a dot, 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 dot. Now, why in the world, and these aren't just dot, dot, dots before, you know, what did you have for lunch yesterday? So they're, so they're uh, editing out uh, irrelevant information. These are dot, dot, dots that are at key portions of the phone call. And so basic logic, when, when the government is already acknowledging that this is not a full transcript, this is a rough transcript, and when the timing of the call does not match the content of the transcript, and when you've got ellipses at, a, at key junctures, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out, well, wait a minute, there's way more stuff of substance than we currently know about. Correct. And so... I don't know if and when we're ever going to find that out, but it's important because I think that there's a there's a theory here that makes sense that part of why Trump thought that it was a good idea to release the transcript and why he thought it was a perfect phone call, which he has said numerous times, is because in comparison to the actual phone call, the transcript was not that bad uh, and they miscalculated. And I and I think this is I think this miscalculation is as a result of the fact that Trump no longer has a John Kelly around him. He no longer has any adults. He no longer has anyone who is able to keep him on a leash. And because Trump now has more and more control and there's no one around him who has the balls to stand up to him, then that makes the system far more vulnerable for bad decisions, for bad judgments to be made. And politically, I think this was a bad judgment. I'm not buying into the 18-dimensional chess move that this was just a trap for Democrats to impeach him and it all ends up working well for Trump. By the way, it could end up working that way. With me, it just works. You know, it's magic. But not by design. It would be by accident and dumb luck, which Donald Trump seems to have an awful lot of. So that was one of the bigger revelations of the last several days. The notion that this phone call, as well as other sensitive phone calls, including those with Putin, have been placed in a particular, uh, and I don't pretend to understand how this works, but that it was far more difficult they were sequestered, if you will, that the politically sensitive conversations, not for classified reasons, but for political reasons, were sequestered in a place where that much, uh, a much smaller group of people would have access to them. But this time, that didn't work out because of the whistleblower. Now, uh, Fox News Channel, of all places, and Chris Wallace, who's one of the last three or four people who get a check from Fox News Channel who still has a soul... Uh, Chris Wallace reported this morning that uh, Rudy Giuliani had help in his continuing effort to get Ukraine to get dirt on Joe Biden. And this vindicates something that I said in the last episode of the podcast. 
I said it was very clear from the transcript that this was not a new conversation with President Zelensky, that President Zelensky was already well aware of Trump's desire for Ukraine to provide them, and I, and I shouldn't even say provide them, because I criticize the media for using that kind of verbiage, to contrive for them, to concoct for them some semblance of dirt on Joe and Hunter Biden involving Hunter Biden's uh, working for, uh, years ago, a uh, Ukrainian firm that was under investigation, but turned out the Hunter was not under investigation and that the, the business itself uh, did not end up uh, being found to have any uh, significant wrongdoing. And so the, the reality of this is that this is an attempt to try to concoct something on Joe Biden. And it's obvious that Rudy Giuliani has been obsessed with this for about a year. This has been going on for a long time. And it's my view that Rudy Giuliani became obsessed with this because Rudy Giuliani knows that Joe Biden is Donald Trump's biggest obstacle towards re-election. I believe Trump knows this. And that's why they're willing and able to do some desperate things to try to bring down Joe Biden. And I think that's been proven over the last several days because they're going to make this whole story in their world about Joe Biden when it shouldn't be about Joe Biden. It should be about the president of the United States using our tax money and our military and endangering the aid of an ally against Russia all as a way to leverage them helping his buddy Roger Stone in a criminal trial against the United States and to help him defeat Joe Biden either in a primary election or a general election here in the United States. That's where the focus on this ought to be. But Chris Wallace is reporting that it wasn't just Rudy Giuliani. It was Joe DeGeneva and Victoria Tunsing, who are married. You probably know those names if you ever watch Fox News Channel. They are now back to being fairly regular people. They had dropped off the radar after the Clinton years where they were uh, Fox News Channel superstars, uh, and now they're back. Uh, these are grifters. These are nut jobs. Uh, ironically enough, and there's almost always a John Ziegler connection, uh, they have a son by the name of Brady Tunsing, who's also a right-wing nut job. Uh, Brady Tunsing and I lived together on the same floor at Darnell Hall at Georgetown University as freshmen uh, back in 1985-86. Uh, uh, I don't still keep in touch with Brady, but I know people who do. And uh, these are the type of people you would use if you were on a, a wild goose chase, bullcrap uh, political operation, because they're willing and able to do anything uh, to stay within the Trump orbit and to get on Fox News Channel and uh, stay some semblance of famous. And so that's interesting because that indicates that this was really a fairly extensive operation that was kind of a rogue deal. Now, we're still unknowing exactly how much the State Department signed off on this. Rudy Giuliani is claiming that the State Department was well aware of everything that he was doing. The, uh, the State Department envoy to the Ukraine has already resigned. That's a story that I don't think got 
nearly enough attention because that's that's potentially a really big deal for them to resign right now. We also haven't heard enough about the uh, Ukrainian ambassador to the United States, the United States ambassador to Ukraine, uh, who was essentially fired in the midst of all of this. What does she have to say? I mean, these are all people who eventually are going to testify and presumably are going to have some very, very interesting things to say. But the important part of all this is this was not an idle comment by Trump in a phone call with Zelensky. This was well understood by both parties, that this was a priority for the Trump White House, a priority because they know that Joe Biden is a big, big problem, and probably their biggest problem, as the polls continue to show, in Trump having any legitimate chance at re-election. So they're on the attack now. They know they're in trouble, and you know the way the Trump people work is... They, and this is sometimes smart, uh, they, instead of going on the defense, they go on the offense. And they're going after the whistleblower. They're going after the whistleblower in a big way. Uh, Donald Trump has already called this person unpatriotic. Of course, his definition of unpatriotic is your anti-Donald Trump. Correct. Uh, and maybe most amazingly of all, uh, in a speech to these are people who work for the government, right? These are government officials. This was a uh, I don't know if you would call it a private speech, but there became audio of it. There's audio that was released of him referring to the whistleblower and those who blabbed or ratted him out to the whistleblower, whoever that person is, that these people are like spies and that we used to deal with spies in a very different manner than we do today, strongly implying that we used to put them to death and maybe we ought to do that again. So here he is, I mean, it doesn't take much to read between the lines, essentially arguing that the whistleblower or those who blabbed the whistleblower should be put to death. Now, a couple people laughed in response. It was more like nervous laughter, but he was not joking. I thought at first maybe this was a classic Donald Trump trying to joke. He was not joking. He was being dead serious. Correct. And this is a bad man. I mean, this is a man who's delusional. This is a man who believes he's a monarch. And that has always been my number one concern about the Trump presidency, above everything else, that he's going to turn us into a monarchy. And there's numerous elements of this story that are consistent with that concern, that Trump believes he's a monarch, that Trump believes that if it's in his best interest, it's in the best interest of the country. And that means he can use our tax money. He can use our military. He can use our prestige. He can use our attorney general. It's all at his disposal, just like he's a king. And he's a king with a cult. And he's already got the cult attacking the whistleblower. Uh, We've got Trump fans trying to ID who the whistleblower is, ironically enough, with help from the New York Times, who revealed a number of things about the whistleblower that I'm sure the whistleblower was not particularly happy about. The right-wing media already has their talking points, that this is all going to be about destroying the whistleblower. Uh, They didn't see anything firsthand. Lindsey Graham's on TV today saying we're not going to impeach the president on hearsay. Well, that's not what this is. And by the way, if you're concerned about hearsay, let's bring in all the direct witnesses that the whistleblower refers to in the complaint. Let's let, let's put them under oath. Now you got direct witnesses. Plus, we already got a damn transcript of the phone call, which is sent and their own confessions, 
Rudy and, and Trump have already essentially confessed to the essence of this whole situation. So that, that's, that's nonsense, uh, what uh, Lindsey Graham is saying. But the right-wing media, uh, you know, they have their talking points. They have their, their orders. Go find – they've got two orders. Destroy the whistleblower and use this to destroy Joe Biden. And like dutiful members of a cult, that's exactly what they're doing. My favorite uh, talking point against the whistleblower so far, and, and I'm not exaggerating this. I've seen this from numerous supposedly respected conservative, quote unquote, conservative media personalities, is that the criminal complaint, not the criminal complaint, the whistleblower complaint is not to be trusted because the complaint itself is too professional that's right too professional and too well done to have been credible that therefore the the whistleblower must have had some organized help that this must be part of a massive deep state conspiracy to bring down president trump because the whistleblower complaint is just too well done it's just flat out ridiculous that's the argument that's the argument that's the best you have, people? You cannot be serious! So, so in other words, if the complaint had made no sense or not uh, had its ducks in a row or had used uh, you know, Donald Trump's uh, punctuation uh, standards on Twitter or something like that, you're saying then that would have made it more credible? Uh, this, this, is, this is the kind of argument you make when you have nothing else. And you know, the right-wing media is flailing a bit right now. They're, they're flailing, trying to figure out, okay, what is our, our go-to argument about this? Uh, Jim Jordan, who I am to this day uh, incredibly uh, uh, regretful that I defended quite vociferously in his controversy involving uh, Ohio State wrestling, where I believe he was falsely charged with somehow enabling sexual abuse of wrestlers way, way back when he was a wrestling coach at Ohio State University. So I think I was right about that. But Jim Jordan is such a dirtbag. Uh, he got totally schooled by uh, uh, Jake Tra uh, Tapper. Uh, Jake Tapper completely crushed him on CNN today as, as Jordan was caught in massive hypocrisy trying to make this about Joe Biden and his son making money from a Ukrainian business when here we got the current president of the United States, his children making money all over the world involving uh, foreign governments of, of much more uh, concern than, than Hunter Biden's a board deal with a Ukrainian company, and Jordan did not know how to handle it, and he and he got completely crushed. Mark Levin, one of the biggest disappointments in the so-called conservative media, a guy I used to have a lot of respect for, a guy I have I've met and had discussions about uh, regarding uh, the whole issue of of Trump and whether or not he was selling out to Donald Trump. Uh, he was asked on Fox News Channel whether or not he was okay with Trump's Ukrainian conduct, and he got all huff and puffy. Uh, claiming that the question itself is dishonest. It's a dishonest question to ask Mark Levin whether or not he's okay with Trump's Ukrainian conduct. No, it's not a dishonest question. It's just a question that cannot be answered properly because you're either going to lock yourself in uh, to a, an answer that's absurd uh, and where you're going to be uh, uh, credibly accused of hypocrisy uh, or, or you're going to have to lie. And, you know, Levin, I guess, still has some semblance of a soul somewhere, and he didn't want to answer that. So then he makes it about the question. That, that is a perfectly legitimate question. Everyone knows it's a legitimate question. You just can't give a legitimate answer because they're flailing. 
But I'm still confident, despite the current flailing by the the right-wing media, and there's been some semblance of of people willing to speak up, like Shepard Smith and and Andrew Napolitano and Chris Wallace, uh, people like that on Fox News Channel, that it's going to, it's going to, this virus is going to, of truth, the virus of truth is going to be contained within the state-run news media. In fact, I was quoted about this in an article by uh, Oliver Darcy, who writes about media for CNN. You can find the article that he wrote uh, at our Twitter feed, which is Individual One Pod. And uh, Darcy ends his article about the right-wing state-run media and how they're going to handle this whole Ukrainian mess uh, with a quote from me comparing uh, Fox News Channel and the Trump cult and not telling them the truth about what really happened here to uh, the Disney Channel not telling you know their base of five to eight-year-old uh, uh, children during December that there is no Santa Claus. They would obviously never do that because that would be against their business model. It would upset their their customer base enormously. Uh, it would then, uh, of course, uh, reduce their audience because people would tune out, uh, and it, it would destroy their entire structure of being. But that's the that's about the best analogy I can come up with. They are too invested to go back now. They're not going to tell the cult there's no Santa Claus. They're just not going to do it. And it almost doesn't matter that they don't come up with a cogent set of talking points that make sense and is consistent. I've said many times that the Trump cult likes options. Just give them options and they'll figure it out for themselves. Tell them it didn't happen. If they want to believe it didn't happen, that's fine. You know, the the transcript isn't real. It's a deep state conspiracy, whatever bullshit they want to believe. Or you can tell them, well, it did happen, but it's not a really big deal. Eh, some, some of the cult might like that one. Or if you want to go in a totally different direction, tell them it did happen. And oh, by the way, it's awesome that it happened. Uh, this seems to be the one that the Trump people are gravitating towards most here. This is awesome that it happened because we're exposing the real scandal here. And that is all about Joe Biden and Joe Biden's intimidation of Ukraine to fire a prosecutor that was after his son. Well, that is not a narrative that is consistent with the facts or the timeline. Unfortunately for Joe Biden, it's not that easy to explain. There is a videotape of Joe Biden bragging about doing this. There's no mention of Hunter Biden. The Hunter Biden thing was already in history. It is my opinion that having looked at this, although I can be dissuaded if I get new facts, but it is my opinion that that videotape of Joe Biden bragging about helping to get the Ukrainian prosecutor fired has been used to reverse engineer a scandal against Joe Biden using some things that sound like facts that aren't really. And I've talked about this before. They use this transitive property BS that somehow investigating a company that Hunter Biden was on the board of is the same thing as investigating Hunter Biden. And they forget about the fact that 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 investigation was not ongoing when Joe Biden did this. Not to mention that there's never been any finding of any wrongdoing. Not to mention that it wasn't Joe Biden's idea to do this. He was on orders from the President of the United States who was just doing what everybody in the region wanted 
us to do. This was unanimous. This was not a, a, you know, somehow a rogue operation by Joe Biden to protect his son. So it is my view that this whole story is bullcrap. Again, I can be dissuaded by new information, but I don't believe there's any evidence of any legitimate wrongdoing. And certainly you can't argue uh, that somehow it's inherently wrong for Joe Biden's son to be making money uh, from a uh, company in a foreign country when you look at what the current president of the United States is willing to do, not just with his kids, but with himself as well. I mean, he's in constant violation of the emoluments clause. So holy hypocrisy, Batman. But I think Joe Biden has a problem here. And I've said this from the get-go, that perception is reality. And in the long run, because this story is not going to go away, this is going to have a drip, drip, drip effect on Joe Biden. And it is my very strong opinion he needs to come out more strongly against this and in a way that his voters and Democratic voters in general can understand. And I've even, I've even proposed what he can do. I tweeted about this. It got you know, a decent amount of retweets. Uh, I tagged his deputy campaign manager, communications director. Unfortunately, she did not respond. But to me, if Joe Biden wants to put this to bed, and maybe you know he could do this at the next debate, because obviously this is going to be a topic that comes up, what he ought to do is simply refer to the Trump-Giuliani obsession in trying to contrive a scandal out of the Ukraine involving him and his son, he should refer to this entire story as Barack Obama's birth certificate 2.0. Because that's what this is. That's what this is. It's a crazy conspiracy theory that's got a little bit of smoke to it that Trump is obsessed with. And the Democratic voters will inherently understand, oh, that makes sense. It also, by the way, reminds people of Biden's connection to Obama being his vice president for eight years. And Obama is exceedingly popular, obviously, among Democratic primary voters. But there's truth to this line. It's a line that I think would inoculate himself from the entire scandal. And I feel I had no idea how passionately I feel about this. And let me once again remind you, I have no love for Joe Biden. <laughs> And it is absolutely bizarre. It's more bizarre than me watching Rachel Maddow on MSNBC that I find myself defending Joe Biden. When I made my second documentary film, Media Malpractice, about the 2008 uh, media coverage, which was effectively an anti-Barack Obama film, there are several scenes in there torching Joe Biden for his gaffes that I believe to this day were way worse than anything that Sarah Palin got crushed over in the 2008 election. And you can find that online. It's called Media Malpractice, how Obama got elected. Uh, So I am no fan of Joe Biden. Uh, But at this point, I, I see him as the only option for trying to push some sort of a reset button so that maybe, just maybe, we can thread the needle and get out of this Trump fiasco without there being massive long-term damage done to everything. Joe Biden's the only one I can see that that's even possible. And so I guess I'm rooting for him, which is just sad, but I had no idea how much I was rooting for him until the, the night after I tweeted about this idea of him describing the Ukrainian story as Barack Obama's birth certificate 2.0. I am someone who does not remember my dreams. 
I don't know why I don't remember my dreams. I hardly ever remember my dreams. But for some reason, that night, I have a vivid recollection of a dream I had. I actually dreamed. I'm not proud about this. I'm just telling the story because it's hilarious. I actually had a dream where I ran into Joe Biden, and I pleaded with Joe Biden to please describe the Ukrainian story as Barack Obama's birth certificate 2.0. Now, the funniest part about this, is it's not just that I had a dream and that I remembered it. It's that Joe Biden in the dream was incredibly Joe Biden. He was so Joe Biden that he actually took his hands and placed them on my cheeks. like, And he got all up in my space to the point where our foreheads were literally touching. So we're like forehead to forehead. His hands are on my cheeks. In, and he's rubbing. He's rubbing my cheeks. <laughs> like, like Uncle Joe. <laughs> I have no idea what he was saying, but I have this general impression that he wasn't getting it, that he was not understanding the importance of this. And uh, I ended up waking up feeling very unsatisfied <laughs> that that I had been able to get my point across to Joe Biden. I think the headline here, though, is clearly I need a much more vivid fantasy life. <laughs> this is what I if what I'm dreaming about, this is what happens when you're a 52-year-old married guy with two kids. You start dreaming about telling Joe Biden to use particular lines in a debate. But I think you can tell I'm not exaggerating or making this up. This is all real. And it's also emblematic of this larger problem. Joe Biden has a big problem here. And, you know, what really crystallized, it's so funny. This is another funny story that will crystallize at least in my mind, uh, why I know that Joe Biden is in trouble. I'm not saying it's over for him. I'm saying this is a major, major concern that he's got to act on uh, immediately, if not sooner. And and it comes from a very odd source, actually two sources. Um, My father, who I've referenced on this podcast before, someone who's done a lot of business with Donald Trump back in the 80s and who despises Donald Trump, Uh, My father thinks that the whole impeachment thing is going to play right into Trump's hands. Uh, And and he's not a hard right-wing conservative. He's he's a conservative. He's a Republican. But I wouldn't even call him necessarily conservative. He's definitely a woke conservative. He's a New York Times Republican, okay? He loves the New York Times. Anything the New York Times tells him he thinks is true, Uh, although I've tried to dissuade him of that in in more recent years, maybe with some success. But uh, he thinks it's going to backfire Uh, and it'll help Trump. Well, that was not as impactful to me as a conversation I had yesterday with a a guy by the name of Tom Mesereau, who's very famous in the United States as a a criminal defense attorney, who, uh, among other things, uh, was the person who got Michael Jackson acquitted on sex abuse charges in 2005. Uh, You may recall he's he's a man with famously white hair, kind of looks a little bit like uh, George Washington, Uh, and uh, he's a brilliant man. I've gotten to know him for the last several years on a number of different matters. Incredibly smart. He's also a liberal. So this is this is not a conservative. He's a rational liberal, but he's he is very liberal. And uh and he and I were talking about this whole Biden thing thing. And he believes that uh he doesn't like Trump and he believes as I do that Biden beats Trump 100%. 
No question, Biden beats Trump. So he's exactly in the same lane as I am on this. And he was emphatic that it is his belief that this Ukrainian story is going to destroy Joe Biden, that Democrats are going to shoot themselves in the foot, that they will nominate someone like an Elizabeth Warren, who he believes cannot beat uh, Donald Trump for very this, much the same reasons that I don't believe that Warren would likely beat uh, Donald Trump. Not that it's impossible, but it's nowhere near as likely as Joe Biden beating Donald Trump. And even after I tried to explain to him, and I'm somebody he you know, seems to respect, I tried to explain to him that this whole Joe Biden Ukrainian story has been reverse engineered around that videotape. That videotape was very impactful on Mesro. Again, not necessarily from the standpoint of Biden is guilty, but the standpoint of perception is reality and that this is going to have a negative impact. And this is a guy who, it's interesting to point out, is not just a liberal, but uh, you know, this is a guy who defended Michael Jackson, defended Bill Cosby. He, he, has, he has his finger on the pulse of the black community in Los Angeles. I can assure you that. He, has a, he is someone who is well-versed in the black community. And it is Donald Trump, I mean, I'm sorry, it's Joe Biden's whole path to the nomination is through the black vote. He must maintain a vice grip on the black vote. So, again, I'm not pretending that Tom Mesero is the be-all, end-all. He's not even that political a person. But to me, it was, it was very impactful that he was so passionate and so strong in his belief that this was going to torch Biden because of all the factors that I just described. And in a way, it's almost good that he's not a political operative, that he's kind of a normal person when it comes to politics. He's he's educated, but not insanely educated. It's not his his livelihood. And so therefore, I found, I said, wow, okay, if Mesereau thinks this, then this is really a significant problem. I do think that the next round of polling, which we'll probably get this week, is going to be key for both Trump on impeachment and Joe Biden uh, with regard to whether or not he can hold on and and win the Democratic nomination. Now, there is a poll out today that's very good for Joe Biden. It's in South Carolina, a key primary state where he is dominating. I think he's up by like 20 some points over everybody, over the whole field. But keep in mind, because of the incredible importance of the black vote in South Carolina. If Biden wasn't winning big in South Carolina, he'd have no shot. So all that really does is tell me that there's not been an implosion when it comes to Joe Biden's support because of this story. It also might be a little too early to be able to judge that. I have said, and I stand by this, that I think my gut tells me that Mesero is thinking too long, too long term here, that in the short run, I do think this story is going to help Joe Biden. I think it'll help him because of what I'm referring to as the rally around the flag effect. We'll find out this week if that's true. If that's not true, if there's no rally around the flag effect uh, for Joe Biden being attacked by Donald Trump in this way, uh, then I think Joe Biden's in big trouble. I, I think there has to be at least some semblance of a bounce for him. If, there's an, if, there, if it's already becoming a negative influence in the first few days of the story, over time, especially if he doesn't uh, deal with it in a dramatic fashion like I've already suggested, then I think he's going to be in trouble. 
And I think then Elizabeth Warren becomes the favorite, if not the prohibitive favorite, to be the nominee, which I've been suggesting for the last uh, several weeks is a very likely scenario. So uh, this next week, uh, maybe by our next episode on Wednesday, we'll have a lot more information with regard to the polling data. The polling data on impeachment is not looking particularly good for Donald Trump either. Uh, But I would be surprised if it gets worse than it currently is. Yes, it will take some time for this news to to fully percolate. But my prediction is that this week, the right-wing media is going to go full-bore defensive Trump, full-bore attack on the whistleblower, full-bore attack on Joe Biden, full-bore obfuscation and utter bullcrap. Uh, they're going to be, the cult will be in full force. And I do think that, uh, you know, the the, the bleeding is going to stop. That's my prediction for this week. The bleeding that we've seen, and we've seen some bleeding. There's one Republican congressman who's come out in favor of an impeachment. There's a couple of Republican senators who have said things that are consistent with the idea that they could theoretically vote uh, to convict Donald Trump in an impeachment trial. So my my gut tells me that this week the that bleeding at least gets contained and that the current numbers, which look pretty bad, like, for instance, there's one poll out today where 55 percent of the public now favors an impeachment inquiry. Forty five percent are against it. That's a pretty significant number. But, of course, being in favor of an impeachment inquiry is not the same thing as being in favor of impeachment and removal from office. I don't think you're going to get much beyond the the 43 percent number, which has shown up in a couple of different polls, indicating that people are really full on in favor of uh, Trump's impeachment. That's enough to make it happen, but it's not enough to remove him from office, especially when Republicans are in can control of the U.S. Senate. So I, I'm going to stick with my my initial gut reaction to this whole thing. This is horrible, absolutely impeachable, in a rational world sh- should cause his removal from office. If he was a Democrat, Republicans would be screaming for his removal from office. It is worse than what Bill Clinton was impeached for but not removed. Uh, but he is not going to be removed because the cult will hold firm, the right-wing media will hold firm, and uh, and Trump will potentially even be able to use this to his advantage because, after all, his, his cult I love the poorly educated. isn't going to think this through. And principles don't matter. Consistency doesn't matter. Uh, nothing really matters. Until further notice, nothing really matters. That's the bottom line uh, in all of this. So uh, obviously we'll continue to k- cover this uh, in uh, future episodes of the Individual One podcast. Our next is scheduled for Wednesday. As is always the case, we finish with our updated percentages on the chances of Trump not finishing his first term in office and being reelected. There's been a slight adjustment to both of those numbers. I'm going to place the the number for Trump not finishing his first term in office at an all-time high of 13%. Still very, very low, but we're in an all-time high of 13%. Uh, but unfortunately, the reelection number has uh, really not changed very much. I'm going to keep that at, at around 43 percent. I think that's a slight uh, decrease from from uh, last week, uh, but 43 uh, percent chance of reelection. And again, as I keep saying, it's mostly based upon the concept that Joe Biden may not be the nominee and that Elizabeth Warren is exactly who Donald Trump wants to run against because uh, that's a person that fits right into his wheelhouse, especially on the so-called Pocahontas issue. So that'll do it for this edition of the Individual One podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. And until-
Until next time, my name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network.